You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Yeah, I just want to, hold on, hold on. I'm going to give this a, listen, first of all, I want everybody out there to, to excuse the little bit of the wildness in my production. I'm in the middle of moving my studio. We're doing a big upgrade. And I thought I was going to be ready with you. But Milano comes, when Milano comes, you stop everything and you make it happen. Listen, I was already counting. All right, let me, let, let me bring everybody up to speed right now. I, I don't chase nobody except Sofia Vergara and apparently Billy Milano. <laughs> so I was like, on the real, I've been trying to get Milano on the show for a while, and he's been busy. And also, in fairness, he's always told me, let's do this. Let's just make it happen. Today, we were trying to work out a new system. We're still in the middle of the works. And right now, you hit me up. I said, we got to make this shit happen. So I whipped it up and... Here it is. Welcome to the Smoking Word. Here it is. Everybody, Smoking Word, I want to welcome the one and only Billy motherfucking Milano. Hey! On the real. We need an apple. On the real, how you fucking been? Let me get my camera fixed. Put the camera down, but I want to see that pretty face. Yo, right, yo. You're looking good. Yeah, I, I feel good for my age. Yeah, good. For your age, forget your age. Age is whatever. Look at the beard looks good, but I told you you sounded good even when I talked to you. And I, and I meant that because nowadays you talk to motherfuckers, they sound like they're on the on their deathbed, you know. Yeah. I mean, definitely uh I feel myself yeah. reinvigorated coming back. You yeah, know, but it wasn't because of COVID. It was because I have, you know, I have personal illnesses from smoking cigars for thirty fucking five years. Yeah, and it's been brutal. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, when your doctor says give up, this is it, and you say, okay, I'll see you next week, nigga. But <laughs> I'm gonna go this way to get myself an espresso. I'll get a coffee con leche. Gonna get some mafungo. Chicharrone de pollo. Yeah. I'm gonna get some if I go to a doctor, they're going to want to cut. So if I don't want to cut, then don't go to a doctor. If you don't want to do pills, then don't go to a doctor. And start doing the research on the internet that you need to do to survive. And yeah. that's exactly what I've done. And so I've changed my whole lifestyle with everything I've done. It, it, literally, yeah. in the last three years, since before COVID, I started dealing with sickness. Yeah. And uh 
it's hard, man. Yeah, yeah, it did. Same thing with me. I know what you mean, man. I went through my episodes too, and you know, my family's di has diabetes. You know, I guess everybody in America has fucking diabetes, but yeah, everyone's you, got something. Yeah, you know, and, and and that's why I had to work on myself also. You know, that shit started. Ca we're at the age bracket where. You know, when we used to hear our parents, always somebody felt like somebody was passing. Now there's people in our world that are fucking disappearing. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things you come to terms with. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm nearly 60. So I come yeah. to terms with the fact that everyone that I liked as an actor or an actress <laughs> yeah. back in the day, they're all dead. I mean, everyone. I mean, I watched this movie. This is one of my favorite movies. A mad, 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 mad world. Of course. And every actor and actress in it is dead. <laughs> yeah, everyone. But it's like watching a ghost. Yeah, but you know, but but you and Stigma, you're still here. Yeah, I hear you. As long yeah. as Stigma's here, I'll feel okay. You know? <laughs> I mean, Vinny is one of those people that I have to know is around. Yeah, no, you I know? feel you. And this is the thing with you too. Also, you come. You're an odd. And very interesting character in our world. That's why, okay, you already know the story, but I, I feel people, I, I want to fill people in on this because everybody knows the Milano stigma. You know, and, you know, I know you know, it was like a wrestler. You either hated him or loved him. And I was one of the guys that hated <laughs> Milano. You know that. But a lot of it had to do, one was, I was a loud mouth too, and you have another loud mouth. All right, so already you got two meatheads already, but I'm a little kid, and you're that. Number two was you got you were connected with the whole anthrax thing, and I came up with my brother being a you know the whole hardcore New York, you know the whole bullshit. So, but everybody I know the 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 connection you were because nobody ever talked shit about Milano except unless you said something wild shit and people hated on you but it was more the guys around you in the band yeah. the other dudes that people really hated yeah everyone still hates those guys it's a yeah fact. yeah I mean I hate them as well <laughs> I mean I you got to remember something Hoya no matter what anyone says about me I am the antithesis of what people read about me I'm a very humble very honorable person. Fact. And I always have been. Thank you. And I always have been. I'm very neutral with everything. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this is this is all I'm gonna say and, and be happy of that. But so you don't even have to say, like I was saying. And I was one of those guys that I already had a thing against you without knowing you just because of the whole whatever. So fast forward, the mad ball thing is going on. A Freddie comes up to me and Ryan, and they're like, yo. Roger is doing the management thing, and you know, when imagine he's with Milano, I'm like, well, Milano, how the fuck, management, get out of here, fuck that. So right away, I'm like, you know, I'm puffing up like. Yeah, I really ah. wanted to do that, but it was, it just, the management at that point, yeah, was, was, there was so much pressure. Yeah. Taft Records, Roger will speak to you of this if you ever ask him. Yeah. So much effort by Epitaph Records to control a Gnostic front. Yeah. We originally were supposed to sign to Hellcat. Yeah. Now I not only produced something's got to give and and recorded it and uh, helped Roger with the lyrics and put it all together and got him to do the Spanish songs. I got him to do those Spanish songs. Tell him, Milano. But I put together all of their marketing plan, all of their touring. I built the Unity yeah. Fest, and I sat down with Epitaph Records when they when we did the Unity Fest. Where we did it was an Arctic Front Dropkick Murphy's U.S. Bomb 
and, and maximum penalty, which right. was a great tour for us. Absolutely. That was our first tour back on a label with a record. And as we got back to do the second tour, I built the second Unity Fest, which was Voodoo Glow Skulls, crazy. Agnostic Front, all. Wow. And Death by Stereo. Yeah. And right. I sat out at a meeting. They flew me out to Epitaph Records, Ron Coleman and Jeff Barbata. And Roger will always give me credit for this. And they sat down and said, why? How are you able to figure out what are you doing? What is your business model on this? We're just curious. But Epitaph Records had no game plan for anything. They sat down and said, you know, we're going to work on the album cover. I got my glue stick. And I was like, yeah, okay, nigga. Nice glue stick. Yeah. You know, maybe you should snort that glue. <laughs> yeah. But, but the fact of the matter is, I put together the tour called Punkorama for them. Showed them how to cross-collateralize their, their advertisement money for that specific package. Like, I still have my Unity Fest CD, which yeah. I did. I remember that. To promote it. And we got it to over 400 radio stations. Yeah. And people couldn't believe it. And I'm like, well, because you don't have a plan. Yeah. They have a compartmentalized where two guys did everything top to bottom on one record. I'm yeah. like, wait, who the fuck does that? You can't do that. You need every facet of every aspect of every department's wit to focus on your business model. And my business model was to build the Unity Fest. And the first thing Epitaph did was copy it with Punkorama, which I put around for them. I put together for them. And then they stole my tour. And they mm. took all the Voodoo Glow Skulls, uh, Gnostic Front, and Death by Stereo Tour, which was Agnostic Front's second tour. Yeah. Album. And they stole it and made it Punkorama and pushed me out. I remember pushed, that. Yeah, they pushed me out because they didn't have the brains. Yeah. Brett Horowitz was a crackhead, fucking moron. He was a total douchebag. Epitaph Records didn't know what the fuck they were doing. They yeah. didn't know anything about New York hardcore other than that they wanted to be, hey, we're New York hardcore too. And they were. They totally sucked on the, on the agnostic front cock. Yeah. And I was like, listen to these guys. I said, write to Tim Armstrong. And to Lars Fredrickson, I'm like, I'm like this. This is New York hardcore. This is not what you think. We're not California hop hop hip hop, bop bop beep bop, and fucking everything is fucking you know everything is top fish tacos and and Brussels sprouts. Go fuck yeah. yourselves. That's not who we are. We're New York hardcore. We're duty chicken with bad fucking pizza with cheap fucking lesh goes mashed potatoes in a cup, and that's who we are. Yeah. Now, I don't need your fucking permission to tell me what's right. I know what's right for this band. They, they, I started they, to build my management company. And then those fucking assholes in SOD came back. Said, hey, you want to do an SOD tour? And the first thing they did with Mike Monterullo was steal. So I hated them from day one. But I, I, let, I walked away from management. And I had management with Il Nino, who got signed for almost 600000 The Step Kings that had a $350,000 uh, publishing deal on the table and a record deal with Roadrunner. I was starting to branch out and work in more, uh, yeah, more of the, more of the festival. Yeah, the Anthrax came back in and said we're going to do all this stuff, and all they did was steal. Mm. That's number one. So when you people say in New York hardcore, you know Billy's with Anthrax, the fuck I am. I'm with Billy. Yeah, I've never said to myself, I'm New York hardcore. Look at me. Even That's though I true. Songs. I'm not one of those guys that ever took the New York hardcore logo. That's and, a fact. No, and that's true. And this, it out. This is what I want to say. 
About I you. I tell you something else too. When I was up in New York a year and a half, two years ago, I was at Jimmy Gestapo's, and I know Jimmy since he's 15 years old. And I said, Jimmy, let me ask you something. Do you think anyone would have a problem if I used the New York Hardcore logo on something? And he said to me, Billy, why the fuck are you even asking? Exactly. And it's because New York Hardcore was always sacred to me. It's where I found myself as Billy. And I made my friends and my family on that Lower East Side on Avenue A and 7th Street, you know, on seven on, on A7 Club. And I was very specific about, about how I felt as a, as a person bringing something to the music scene. I was always cordial. I was always respectful. I tried my best to support everybody. And when there was fights, I always broke up the fights. I never wanted to see anyone fight. I didn't want to see Roger and John Joseph fight. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to see Harley and Vinny fight. I'm yeah. like, wait a minute. We're all friends. At this point, you guys fighting with each other. I could go home and see my brothers do that. Yeah, yeah. I have to sit here on Avenue A or yeah. by CBGB's and see my friends fight with each other. Yeah. And, you know, I was naive to the political aspects of it. And I grant that. I was naive for it. But in the in the other in the other reality though, Hoya, I was very respectful to New York Hardcore because it's my blood. Absolutely. Listen, this is why I lied about it. I know that I know I know again, I'm from a generation later than you. I'm from the I came from 88 and on. So I know some of the Milano, and I didn't know all the Milano till I knew you, and then obviously you ended up managing us. Then I ended up unfortunately loving you and then and, and all that stuff and then but what but what happened was but then you know i started learning more about the roots you had yo and and and, and that's why i put it together and this is why again why i say not just because to me i enjoyed bullshitting with you but who you are to the hardcore scene and i say the hardcore scene because you're a hardcore motherfucker and you always been a hard, the New York hardcore dude that got, I don't want to say lumped in because you were doing the anthrax thing or, or, or the SOD thing, excuse me, at the time or whatever. And that was that, but it was his own animal with a hardcore dude in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But but people, since you always were like never flying, the, you were just kind of like, yo, I'm with everybody and never, people uh, automatically uh, lumped you with that. Yeah, listen, uh, here's the whole thing about when it comes to when it comes to fealty, when it comes to being loyal, fealty, that's what it means. I didn't know, I was about, I was about to Google it. Yeah, fealty means an act of loyalty, an, an act of loyalty. Yeah. When it comes to being loyal, I mean, the fact of the matter is there is none more loyal than I am. Yeah. I have literally, I have literally turned down massive opportunity to go tour with SOD simply because they disrespect the New York hardcore scene, they steal and lie, they're disrespectful to their fans, and they this Charlie Benante guy, Charlie Benante is the most evil woman I've ever met in my life. <laughs> but Scott Ian turned out to be something abominable, which is a selfish Jew. Yeah. Now, I don't give a fuck what anyone says. I'm part Jewish, but I'm not a selfish Jew or a selfish kite. And they all got together and stole. And that's the fact. And I remember them stealing. And I got to the point where I said, I can't, I can't just imagine being involved with Mike Montalulo or TKO booking ever again. I, I tried. And I tried to do the SOD reunions with Black and Blue. So these guys said to me, wouldn't you? I was coming up to New York. Here, let me get into my 
into my lo- my loyalty first, and then I'll tell you about my SOD story in New York. I love New York hardcore. I buried my friends. To this day, I still see Barry Samuelson dead. Boom, day blue. My friend Barry dead on a bench. To this day, I still see John Norquist walking away from my house at three in the morning to get beat up and thrown on rail tracks and murdered. To this day, I still see Ray B's in my van as I'm driving them. And I, we picked up dust. Like I didn't know what we were doing. He asked me to go, pick, go take a ride with him. But I remember seeing his face and seeing how sickly he was. Those things haunt me. It's like, if you don't know the my music scene, then you don't know. Do you remember Punk Rock Willie? Yeah, I remember that. Punk Rock Willie, who looked like that movie, uh, not Young Frankenstein. Let me, the, the movie where Meatloaf would play Frankenstein. It was a horror rock and rock show. Rocky I'm, Horror picture show. Yeah, horror, yeah, horror, Rocky he Horror. He looked at me one day. Wow. Willie was a very, very nice kid. He looked at me, and I just looked at him, and he just looked sick and strung out. And I remember saying to Willie, look, you're a good guy. I'm your friend. Please stop. And he says, Billy, you don't understand. I love it. And he wind up ODing and dying. It's like Maddie from Rapid Deployment. Matt haunts me. He always used to come up to me, Billy, we're playing. Can you come see us play? And I'm like, dude, I'm in Jersey. You're in Queens. And you're playing on a Tuesday. Man, I respect you, Matt. I like you, Matt. And, you know, we lost Matt. And I don't know how we lost him. But I, I see I see memories of my friends and memories of hardcore that have broken my heart. Yeah. And I... I and I, out of loyalty, I've always protected New York hardcore. And it, like when it came time to like to do something with SOD, and I and there, and Scotty and put the New York hardcore logo on his Anthrax shirt, I was like, wait a minute. First of all, you have no right to do that. Number one. Number two is we invited you into New York hardcore. You're not New York hardcore. I'm New York hardcore. But even I, when we did SOD shirts. I was like, you're taking that logo off. It's one thing that it's on the helmet because it's part of the helmet design now. Yeah. But it's not going to be on the shirt as a thing to sell. I never, never, ever bastardized my happiness and my memories of my friends in the New York hardcore movement. No, no, for sure. And I want to say everything. I saw you do something that I saw on the side that I was like, I saw, I saw you, I was like, that's a team player. We were on tour together, and we were on tour with Shai Halud. And I, I, I feel I think if we were, we might have been in the Midwest somewhere, somewhere where they had the two strip clubs across the street from each other. Okay. I, I just remember that. We didn't. I just remember that neighborhood. But I remember. Long story short, they broke down somewhere. Oh, I remember that. And then I remember them telling you know we all had long drives. We get to the club. We just get in there. And I remember you get there. You know you were taking charge of a lot of it the tour stuff, like TMing a lot of stuff or whatever. But I remember hearing you, you weren't talking to me. You were just talking, you're like, fuck, these guys broke down. I see you getting your stuff ready. And I'm like, yo, Milana, where you going? You're like, I got to go get these guys. And I was like, oh, you're going to go get them? Because I was kind of like, really? I, You know, I thought, you're like, you looked at me. And I remember you looked at me like, and you were like, yeah, what I'm going to do, leave them? And I remember being like, okay, 
I already loved you, but I was like, okay, you know, he's starting to fight it. Because again, what I wanted to say is I saw a side of you after we met and then I started seeing and I get it because, you know, uh, we're similar in a lot of ways. We're loud guys. You're just a little bit more brasher than me, but I, I know who you are. When people don't know who you are, I understand how people come up because some people, you know, like it or not, we come up with a first. This is what I, this is what I've always come to terms with in my industry. I will never shut up or be quiet. I love that about you. And number two is you can't buy me. Yeah. And so if you don't like me, fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. All right. I want to rewind because this is what I want to fucking know. I want to get little Billy, little cute Billy. You're born. You you you're born in Staten Island. Wait, wait, wait. Jersey. Englewood, New Jersey. Your Jersey. Your Jersey. You're born Jersey because I always know you're the Jersey guy always coming over. Obviously, you don't even got to tell me. Being from dirty Jersey, you're already into fucking classic rock back then. You were either into classic. Everybody's into classic yeah. rock, right? Yeah. And then what's the first gritty kind of shit you start getting into? You know, that's the funny thing. As a kid, one of 11 children, number 10. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm number 10 of 11. Wait, 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 wait a minute. You mean there's like 10 more views? <laughs> Not 10. Nine more, eight more? There originally was 11 children in my family. Wow. There's eight. Wow, you but had a huge family. family. But I was also subject to those things, being the last in line, getting mm-hmm. all the hand-me-downs. And I never really complained. But I was getting all the hand-me-down records, Hoya, and I got everything uh-huh. from Frankie Valley, who I fucking love, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, Sinatra, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I got Black Sabbath, Zeppelin, The Grateful Dead. I got uh, my, uh, my sisters gave me Jackson Brown, and I love all of it. I mean, I, I love music. Music is the, is the tapestry yeah. of my life. And yeah. all music to me is beautiful and glorious. All of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, no. uh, I mean, I grew up mainly with like Motown, OJ's, uh, Lou Rawls, Barry White. Yeah. I mean, I love, uh, I love Motown, Tavares. Yeah. I love disco. I love it all. I really do. So- but as, as my gritty side, I got a hold my brother gave me black sabbath paranoid mm. and that it was, was it. it was basically a new record at yeah. the time. and up. i had a little radio that you lifted up the top and you put your records on yeah and i started to listen to that stuff and i started to listen to like the grateful dead and uh, the Beach Boys, I love the Beach Boys. So, still, mm. you know, when you listen to production, that's another yeah, yeah. of me. I love production. Yeah. And so what kept me going all these years with MOD, which has been like, you know, a fun band. It's never been anything I wanted to do serious. Yeah. With the fact that I could get a budget, go into a recording studio with these riffs and songs that I created and make something of it. And I said to myself, this is magical at this point to look at this massive mix desk when you first see it you're like what the fuck are all these knobs until you figure it out and then you realize they're all the same and it's the same here yeah yeah here and it's a linear thought and your math kicks on yeah my grittiness came from 
you know, my brothers and sisters listening to Zeppelin and listening to the Beatles. I mean, I love the fucking Beatles. Some of the Beatles stuff that I grew up with that was more experimental when it was new or when it was when it was basically, you know, because you were taking acid, that's why. Like fucking across the universe, she's so heavy, little brown jug, all these songs that were like really drug-induced music. Yeah. But uh, it was it was definitely Sabbath that started it. W were you going now? Let me ask you this, which is curious, because for me, and I grew up a hip hop kid, but I loved Sabbath and hardcore because of my older brother. So it was always that but even as a hip-hop kid we don't grow up going to shows to me i realized hardcore and punk are probably the one of the few real scenes that has show from the beginning level up yeah like first grade second grade junior high school That's high exactly. school where metal is battle of the bands or you got to get the national act show yeah listen here's what the truth is about new york hardcore and i've always stopped now this is my dog sugar come here yes you always yeah. got you always got the doggies I got two huge chocolate labs. Yeah. I love dogs. I choose them over half the people I know. Yeah. I Believe you. me. I know. Here's what I've always stated about New York hardcore. And being one of the people, I won't say I'm a founder, but I'm an original member. You're breaking I was that. There in 1981, 1980, where we took the bus in the seat of Ramones in Central Park. It's all Kabula's fault. <laughs> and he hasn't brushed his teeth since 1980. <laughs> that motherfucker could weld with his fucking toothbrush like fucking MacGyver. Yeah. A chiclet and a brush, and he could fucking arc weld with that shit. So that you you were in, in that and that so that was part of the squad you were coming with early with Kabula and other yeah, cool alarm guys. It was Rob Kabula and Gus Burnett and Anthony. I don't know his last name, Spirulani, I think his name was. Rob DeGeorge. A couple other guys, Barry Stamus and Bloom Day Blue. And we started to go to A7. So I remember going to A7 the first time. And Kabula, we, we came in, it was we were 17. And he goes, here you go, Billy. I go, this is it. Go, Look at this fucking street down here. It's Avenue A and 7th Street, yeah. 1981. Oh, forget it. A battle zone. That shit was fucking hell. Oh, it was dope. And hell. Here, I am, here I am. I'm like, okay, here we go. And I open up this door. And I And it's a band called Heart Attack. <laughs> and you almost got a heart attack. And, it, and I'm like, this, this stuff is cool. <laughs> I was fucking amped up. But I always say this about New York hardcore because I have such affection for it, which is why I try to preserve it. When I grew up in it, it became something of an enigma. New York hardcore now is the result of New York hardcore's incarnation. And there were a few people back there, Bobby Steele, that was back there, the abused in the beginning, you know, uh, Harley Flanagan, the stimulators, they were all part of it. And it was all still that whole, that whole area, that whole uh, uh, up and coming new wave that started turning punk at Peppermint Lounge. Yeah. TV started having these shows and they weren't always there on Sundays, but they started having them. And the New York hardcore music scene has always been looked at as the bands today that are successful. What it really came down to is this, it was successful because it was inclusive, which is where you're talking about now. 
This is where my roundabout brings me right to the bottom of your question. And if you think about it, and I've always stated this, New York hardcore is not only the most important, but the most prolific DIY music scene in the world, where you literally have people that are New York hardcore that are from Japan, New York hardcore that are in Malaysia, New York hardcore that are in Holland, Italy, France, Greece, Germany, Scandinavian countries. We are a New York hardcore family. It's not punk rock and it's not new, it's not hardcore. Back. There is an absolute truth that New York hardcore is two million people worldwide. As a as an independent thought within the constraints of the music industry lies this enigma of fuck you. No matter how many festivals we headline, we also have our own festivals. Yeah. No matter how many shows we play and get on, we also have our own shows. And we have our own record labels. And our fucking New York hardcore family, our mayors, police chiefs, their politicians, their yeah. record label executives, their lawyers, their booking agents, yeah. their musicians and rock icons. I mean, what people say to me still to this day, you know, it just freaks me out every once in a while, Billy, and you're, you're sitting here talking to me. And I'm like, what's what I'm doing? I'm sitting here with my friend talking with my friend. And they don't get it that Billy Milano basically is a character, like a wrestling character. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, exactly. you know, uh, the New York hardcore scene is, which is immortal. Yeah. And th this is why, again, why I'm glad to get you. Cause I know how you are. I know what you are to this scene and I know how you feel about it. And, and, and people, people don't know that cause you get lumped in to people who just kind of glaze over that. That might be that and glaze over. Oh yeah. The Milano, he talks shit. Oh, Milano, the SOD, um, uh, anthrax connection and then leave it at that. SOD. I was around and I started to sing for Hinkley's fan club. And Hinkley's fan club turns into cause for alarm. And I was singing for cause for alarm. And then Roger uh, from a Gnostic, from the psychos who played bass, Roger Moret went and sang full time for a Gnostic front. And I had just gotten thrown out of cause for alarm. because <laughs> I wasn't a communist. <laughs> you know, there was a couple guys in that band and I love Keith Burkhart. He was definitely one of the one of the true people that I respected in the New York Harvard hardcore scene. But Robbie Cribcrash, the original drummer, who was this rich anarchist kid who lived in a squat and had a four million dollar house at home. Oh, but it was it was it was Alex Kynan, the guitarist for his band, who came and joined uh, Hinkley's fan club. And Alex played for the Young Radicals. Mm -hmm. I, I just saw him at the New York Hardcore Film Festival premiere. Yeah. And I walked up to him and I'm like, Alex, you're going in? <laughs> and he's like me. Alex is two years older than me. Mm. And he was in the New York Hardcore scene before most of us. Yeah. It was the originals. Yeah. One of the originals. And he, used, he was a Max's Kansas City guy. Mm. That guy. Yeah, those, that. I go, Alex, check this out. He starts going like this. You know this song? You know who you are? You know who you are? 
you care about me. I don't care about you. Annihilate, annihilate them. Annihilate, annihilate them. And he's like, he goes, he starts laughing. He goes, Billy, he goes, you're the only person that I've ever met that remembers a new radical song. Annihilate. <laughs> and he, it was pre Hinkley's fan club. It was on 1979. I know, that's that 70s. I remember saying it's Alex Kynan and I'm jamming with him. And then we became friends and I went fishing with him. He was one of the, he was the original guitarist for MOD before it fell apart. And became, all right. So, uh, not, 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 so, so before the answer, they so, all right, you, I know you were playing with the, I've heard that you played with the course for Loma. I know you were, you were trickling around and I always heard where you were Kabula and the Jersey squad. Cause yeah. I would always hear from Roger, whatever. How do you fall into with, Jer uh, the Queens dudes with all the the, the, the other dudes. Oh, how does the whole SOD thing pop up? Like how like were you hanging out or they needed somebody? And obviously they say, let's get the wild big motherfucker that like usually happens. The craziest dude in the pit with no shoes on, throwing people around. Let's make him a singer. Did that is that how it happened or another way? No. No. But what happened was this. I was working on a band called Method of Destruction in 1980. All right. Right. That was my band. Right. I was working on it with Kabula because Kabula's like, we should try and do something that's more metal. And and so Kabula used to say that to me because I was always driving around in my fucking Camaro. And Alex Kynan was driving around in my Camaro with me listening to, you can ask him this story about me listening to Motley Crue and Led Zeppelin, I go, do send to me, Alex. One day, heavy metal and hardcore are gonna come together and explode. And that's exactly what happened. Alex Kynan will always tell you, I was the guy that called it, and I was the guy that stopped all the fights. I was the guy that was inclusive, and I was the guy that didn't take New York hardcore to a level where it got bastardized, exploited, or, or, uh, or uh, polluted. Yeah. I was always a very New York hardcore purist. If I didn't know you, I just didn't show up at a show. I went to your show because you're my friend. Yeah. That's, so I, that's like that stigma era. You know the deal. That. Listen, that's why I feel bad about Matt from Rapid Deployment. Yeah. I remember going online like three years ago and seeing a Rapid Deployment video. I'm like, oh, man, please tell Matt I said hello. Yeah, I know. He still feel guilty. Back on YouTube and said, you know, just so that, you know, Matt never made it out of the 80s. And I, it literally broke my fucking heart. Yeah. He's always such a nice guy. You yeah. know, it's like no one Willie died. No one talks about Willie. There's no plaque for Willie anywhere. There's yeah. no plaque for Matt from Rapid Deployment. All those bands that disappeared into the into the unknown that aren't on that plaque in A7. Yeah. I'm on that plaque two times. Ah, uh, there you go. With the psychos and sod i think sod is on that plaque the oh. psychos and hinkley's Psycho, fan club. definitely psychos and hinkley's fan club is on it there come you on go. twice nigga. Ne <laughs> twice nigga. You, know, you gotta mention the white guy twice or you fucked up you fucked up you have a proportionate amount of white people well, how you fall into with these guys so how's it pop up there i walked in to talk to i walked up to play a show it was a gnostic front and psychos opening as CBs. And I walked up and everyone's outside. And I go in and I see all these dudes standing in the corner. So when you come at the CBGBs and there's the desk with Hilly Crystal. On the right? Right, right there. On your right, there's Hilly Crystal. And then as the fence post, there's the stairs up there to your left. And to your fence, you got to walk in, come in, and come up. 
you yeah. go to the end. And these motherfuckers were huddled in there like a pigeon coop. I'm like, look at these fucking heavy metal dudes in this bar. So there's like there's like nine guys here, and they're in four feet of square space, huddled <laughs> against each other. Like, <laughs> trying to get warm under a bridge, and it's fucking bed style at three in the morning in in August in October. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Kept coats like this, hanging out like fucking scared little chickens. And I walk into this, the back room. I put my shit in there. I walk past them dudes coming out, and they look scared. And I looked at them like this. And they look <laughs> this, like, you know, oh, my God. I could hear the Jew kicking on. What do we do? Hey! And uh, check it out, man. And they're hanging out. And I'm, a, I'm good with it. I, I like people. I don't have a problem with someone hanging out in a show. And I walked into the sh- outside, and I see Kabula out there. I'm like, Kabula, what the fuck is up with the heavy metal dudes? He goes, he goes, hey, this is Kabula. Hey, listen to me with his fucking death breath. <laughs> I can fucking, he can smelt fucking iron with his mouth. Okay, let me tell you something. Bill, you know who that is? Those are the guys from that record I played you. He played me the Fistful of Metal record. Uh-huh. That weekend, Metallica was playing two shows in Brooklyn. Uh-huh, the Moors, right? Moors. They were still playing clubs. It was Metallica and Anthrax. And I go, what the fuck are they doing here? Are they crazy? And he goes, yeah, some guys want to beat them up. But they have long hair. And I'm like, I don't think I'm going to let that happen. And so I walked into those guys and I said, hey. And they looked at me like this. <gasps> you know, like the chicken getting grabbed as you're cutting its fucking head off. <laughs> and I said to them, hey, listen, I'm Billy. Don't be afraid. There's a couple of guys here that are going to start a fight with you. And I want you to know that I got your back. And they were like, Scotty was like this, thank you. You know, he had one eyebrow and his hair looked like a wig. Like it came off a of fucking Cersei Lannister. He looked like fucking, he looked like, you know what he looked like? Joe Dirt. Yeah. <laughs> his mullet started here, went like this. Look. And then. One eyebrow. Like you, you saved their life. And they're sitting there hiding. And there's a couple guys that were from Long Island, Paul, and a couple of guys, they were like, you know, we want to beat their asses and they don't have a right to be here. And I just basically walked up to them and go, dude, you know, one of the reasons I come here is to hang out with people, be my friends and my family. This is not going to happen. Please don't do this. <laughs> you make everyone look bad. It's like, it's like this. No matter what they say about me, I am the antithesis of everything they say about me that's negative. But they never talk about my positive side because they're afraid to empower me because I read for 40 fucking years. And I didn't read Harry fucking Potter. (laughs) Now, these guys were going to get beat up and I'm not going to let it happen. And no one really wanted to do it. And they were saying, oh, we're going to get the Zep heads. And I walked up the phone, I'm like, really? You guys are going to beat these guys up? I mean, that's just not going to happen. Luckily for me, a friend of mine who I brought into the music scene back a year earlier or two years earlier said, hey, if you need a hand, I got you, Billy. And it was Big Charlie Hawkins. So Big Charlie was my friend, and I met him at a Queen show, and he got jumped. Big Charlie. Imagine Big Charlie getting jumped by six skinheads. Who was it that fought for him? Me, Stu Schizo, Big Rob, and Billy Psycho, because we were playing the Psycho show in Queens. 
and we took Charlie's back. And I was, he goes, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, look at the size of you. <laughs> That's what you do. Yeah. I didn't think anyone was going to be my, was going to take my back. I'm like, Charlie, you're with us. That's it. Because he came to see the cycles and he was just getting involved with the New York hardcore. And so Big Charlie walked up to me and says, Billy, I'm with you. And so it was me and Big Charlie and Kabula eventually walked in. And uh, I walked up to these guys and I said, please, just don't do that. Either leave, either leave and make your peace with it or fucking and come back next time. Or, or and a few of the guys that were really hell bent on being white power left. And, you know, we had them in the club back then. But they didn't fly colors. That yeah, was the, it was that a was different the world thing. back then. That was the one thing. It's like this. I hate to break it to everybody. The reason that we didn't fly colors in the club was two reasons. Number one is none of us gave a fuck. And number two was the Hells Angels owned CBGBs. And you didn't fly colors in their club. It wasn't until, it wasn't until the next movement of hardcore, youth of today, when they started screaming about being a vegan. And it became clicky and fashionable to have a set of colors. Yeah. Now, I know it's very, very uh, prominent now in New York hardcore with DMS and other groups having their colors in their crew. And that's what happens. You wind up becoming an alliance. I don't rock colors. You hear me? I have one set of colors. Check it out. You see, it says family. Yeah. Yep, right there in the middle. Yep. That's it. Family and love. I don't care about anything else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, He's back. He's back. The Milano Mosh. I'm a bull, you know? You always been. And and, and, so you got these. Story. I was on stage. Let me finish my story with with Metallica and Anthrax. Yeah, tell me. That's what I'm wearing. And I go on stage and I play bass for the Psychos. My last song, get the fucking shirt on, bitch. <laughs> we'll just leave. That's it. Let them, let them see. Let the ladies droll, dude. Come on. Give them some eye candy. I used to be in great shape. No, you're looking good. On the real, you're looking solid, Milano. I don't feel sorry for you. I definitely know how to fight still. Oh, I know that, you fucking savage. But, um, you know, those guys were very cool, and I, and I kind of made them comfortable in the club. I said, come on out, come on out. Come to the back of the crowd with me. And we went to the back of the crowd and we hung out together. Yeah. And I go, look, I'm coming up next. You go back to your position, your <laughs> corral, chicken coop, and I'll take care of you later. <laughs> and I went on stage and played and I'm playing my, this is our last song for the Psychos and I'm a bass player. And we played Summertime Blues by, by uh, Blue Cheer, which is a, Great fucking party song. And who comes running up to the front of the crowd and headbanging is Cliff Burton from Metallica. Oh. And he's standing there like this. Ain't no cure for the summertime. <laughs> All like this. And then singing the words without even looking. And the show ended. And I said, ah, and we said, thank you. We're the psychos. And everyone went outside. And Cliff Burton stood there and he goes, yo, you're an awesome bass player. I said, I'm a good bass player. I have fun. I go, but that's why I do because I have fun. He goes, and that's what made you awesome. Wow, that's big. Come here. Yeah, that's, you know. I took my hand and went back to the corner. That's huge. I went <laughs> playing. And he went back. I got those guys at the back of the pit 
his James Fields go like this, and his hair is like this. Yeah. Like it's fluff. It's like this. Yeah, yeah. You know, like a giant. Yeah, they were headbangers. They were headbangers. And he had hair. And, we, <laughs> and he had hair. And I said to him, "Come on, let's go in the pit." He goes, "Really?" And I grabbed him by his shoulders, by his pants, and picked him up and put him on my shoulders. And I'm in the fucking pit like this. Uh, <laughs> I went around with him on top like this, marching. We're doing chicken fights. Yeah. It was chicken fight with me in in the mosh pit in the Gnostic Front show. That's wow. a fucking fact. Wow, that's amazing. Imagine somebody had that footage, boy. I want that footage. Oh, forget it. Here's the worst. Here's the thing about it. This is how far I've come since that. I've always hated the guys at Anthrax for treating the fans the way they fucking treat them. And I didn't protect them to let them become something like that, which is why I wouldn't embody it. And I do what I want to do the way I want to do it because it's my right to do it my fucking way. Yeah. But what Charlie Benante in an interview said, some guy brought James Hetfield on a, on his shoulder in a pit. Oh, some guy. Yeah. I knew that was his pussy getting all flared up from saying. So there is no redeeming qualities with them. I do know them. I don't talk to them. I haven't spoken to Scotty in, in 20 years. And wow. you know what I don't care. Yeah. Oh, I know. Every, time, every time I talk to him, it's about an SOD show. And you know what the truth is? Have I done any since then? I try. Yeah. And they always fuck it up. They fuck yeah. it up with their greed, their lies, and their selfishness. And of course, they always use Michael Montarulo from TKO Booking. And I refuse to work with Mike Montarulo. He's a scumbag. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. I always wondered this because, again, since I was against SOD and all that, just because I tell you, because the whole, because of the whole Anthrax connection and that, that was the only reason. I all my boys loved all the bad. They were like, "Yeah, shit's hard," but I was like, "Yo, I can't like that." You know, somehow I was connected to a certain dude in that other band, and I can't fuck with him. It's just how I was brought up. But what I want to know this, so I never. All my boys loved all, you know, everything you did. You know, the the that's the, they loved. I remember being in a freshman year in junior high school, and the, my he ended up being my boy, big white boy Gene. He was older than me, and he was like, I was like a little skinny. He was like, what a little skin, and he had the SOD jacket. He thought like, you know, but he would like bully me in a good way, like, yo, shorty, oh, you what you know about hardcore and blah blah blah. So I never knew, but when I saw the whole live at the Budokan, right? Yeah, I can tell you a great story about that, but go ahead. Tell me. But first of all, the I originally, when I saw that, when I first saw that, because I had seen maybe a bunch of years ago, it went platinum or something, remember? Uh, or whatever. Yeah. I remember, and I remember being like, yo, that's dope. And then I remember being like, yo, but check this out. I, oh, God, I go like this. I, I start telling, um, I forgot who, one of my boys. I go, yo, you know what's really cool? Yo, they fucking got to play, you know, to do that or oh shit there you go look at that wow madball got one but it's triple aluminum wow look at that that's dope boom you official that's yeah that's huge that's that's huge dude finish your story yeah and then um uh, I was I, t I was telling my boy, this was not too long ago now. I go, yo, but you know what's really dope? Wow, they got to play the Budokan or whatever. And they were like, nah, it's bullshit. They didn't yeah, record listen, it. I didn't even know what they fucking meant by that. <laughs> you did it. I was going to ask you. No, what was listen, I have people come up to me all the time. Dude, you know how old of a fan I am? I was at Budokan in Japan at that show. And I'm like, 
Really, man? Really? <laughs> but really? Yeah, and then I read they're like, no, it was recorded somewhere else in the how did that how did that pop happen? First of all, those guys <laughs> uh, listen, apparently the story for the live at Budokan naming of the record was simply because everyone was doing live at Budokan in the 70s. Like this. And it was a trendy thing to do. You know, like saying you're ready live at CBGB's to us. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. And it was for all these huge bands. Gotcha. And these guys are like, we're going to do it. We're going to call it live at Budokan. And I just went like this. Okay. (laughs) I I don't know what that means. Okay. You know, always have a great plan yeah as great as you think but it it wound up working for it oh it worked dope that's smoke up scotty and ass how brilliant sod was listen i sold sod there you go i'm the most unique entertainer in music and the fucking story i I, i'll give you i'm the front man that changed metal everyone went from spandex to this hey man what's up motherfuckers and that's what i was doing because that was new york hardcore new york hardcore was not getting up in bullet belts and going yeah are you ready to rock <laughs> every band did it. all the bands that are like have these hardcore metal front guys now from pantera to metallica where they all changed their image they changed it because of people like me yeah, yeah true. the forerunners of being just a person. Can I just say an early vi- a early memory of Milano is that big gorilla on stage barefooted throwing people over his head. Nah. I remember you barefooted throwing people. And you nah. know what the story? My brother always we used to say a story. Yo, he threw Big Charlie. Oh, yeah, I body slammed Big Charlie. Yeah, and my brother, rest in peace, my brother be like, yo, Milano, the only guy who threw fucking Charlie. And he be barefooted. Listen, I was I was never big, but I was always very strong. Yeah, you were dead. You know, I always worked for a living. So I mean, I went from unloading trucks to lifting weights to hanging out. Yeah, you were dense. You always are. You were like a solid. You know, when you were like, yeah, I power lift. I was like, of course you fucking did. You fuck. Yeah, man, I used to lift hard. I mean, yeah. I was fucking four ninety five. Yeah, crazy. But- Let me ask you, what was with, with the whole existence without the any pop-up the whole sod thing how long was that run we did three shows and i realized i hated them (laughs) that's it we did three shows it was new jersey dover and oddly enough it was the drummer dave remember dave from the gnostic fund karate dave yeah 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 he ran that club in, De- in Dover, New Jersey, it was the Dover Showplace. It was Trenton, New Jersey, and then it was one other show in Yonkers. And we did these three shows. And the first thing I said to myself was, you know, I really don't like these guys. And then I realized I didn't like Scott Ian. I didn't like Johnny Z and Marcia Zazula. I didn't like any of those people. And as I grew to know them, I appreciated those people as one thing, a, a key. I turn it, I use it, and I lock it when I'm done because I don't want them in my life. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's like SOD. Every time we try to get together and do something, because I don't want to do it. Yeah. Danny Looker, he, he'll do anything. Yeah. So he'll go on, oh, on tour with a garbage company if they pay him enough. 
Eddie's got weed and beer. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you. So. Look, okay, he's a moron. End of story. But Tony and Scott Ian are selfish, and there's a difference. And when we, even when we did the Bigger Than the Devil record, I had to listen to those guys argue back and forth how they hated each other. Mm. Paul Ivanante come up to me, you know, I wish Scott would play his old guitar tone, you know, instead of this dime bag tone. And I'm like, Scott, maybe you should put your Marshalls back up there. He goes, this is the same guitar tone as dime bag. And I'm like, well, that's dime bag, you know, which is what he wishes he was. All right. Paul they used these drum tones. I'm like, listen to these drum tones. They sound like mushy fucking boxes. I'm like, and then Loker's bass was so distorted. And then they wrote all these weird songs. Like the good stuff on that Bigger Than a Devil record is mine. I wrote it. You know, Kill the Assholes and We All Bleed. <laughs> kill the Assholes. Like family favorites, like Kill the Asshole. That's a great fucking song. It's the I, best. Some of the best songs on that record are mine. And you mine. only, see, wait, 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 but you're, you're telling me you only did three shows? Before I realized they were scumbags. Oh, okay. Well, I believe that. But it, it, how long was the run? You, you ballpark that first run without any pop-ups you think you did? Or was it always up? Until 2000. Oh, wow. Three shows and I walked away because I hated them. I wow, hate, like that. I hate, straight up, I absolutely hate Charlie Benante and Scott Ian. <laughs> simply because they're comfortable with being unethical. Mm. And that's the problem. When I did a retro, I did a merch deal with Megaforce Records. <clears throat> this was a merch deal during my lawsuit with Timmy McMurtry. Now, I didn't want to do a merch deal because I know that they're thieves. And the first thing they're going to do is do a deal, say we're authorized and we're going to do as much as we want with that one authorization. And I had to get on the phone with t-shirt companies and go, wait a minute, you don't have more than three designs. You're not getting five more. Fuck you. And I literally screamed at them. Who the fuck are you to steal my stuff? Because that's what they do. They start here, they get permission, and then they steal nonstop. It's like this SOD doll. They stole the money for that. I never got no money for that. Mm. It's complete bullshit. And Mike Montarulo is a scumbag for doing it. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I literally don't want to be involved with these people ethically. But when I did the t-shirt deal, because I wanted to get a van to go out on the road with MOD. Yeah. For the busted Broken American record, which is a fucking great record. And Megaforce did nothing. They signed me for my catalog, and then all they do is talk about SOD. Wouldn't it be great if we did this? Wouldn't it be great if we did this? Wouldn't it be great if we did this? Yeah, but wouldn't it be great if you actually worked the product you signed? Record, and yeah. Never do. Missy Colazzo and I have huge beef over her bullshit. Not only with my lawsuit, but with my catalog, which she did nothing with to promote nothing with that catalog, including my new record, which is by far the best record I've ever done in my life. And that's what I was going to read up to. I was going to lead up to like, you did we were there, we, so they wrote an email, wouldn't it? Because I was coming up to New York. Wouldn't it be fun <laughs> to have some fun with SOD? And I wrote back, if it's fun, yes. And then they all said yes. And I said to them in the meeting, because Mike Montarulo was there, that little weasel, and Missy Colazzo. And I said, look, if I do something with SOD live, it's going to be something that I want to do, not what they want to do, because they're thieves, straight up, they're 
absolute thieves. Mike Montarulo and Cooley. So you're telling me whenever you would, whenever you would talk about these maybe plans, you wouldn't listen, even look at the members from all of them. From but Danny I'm saying, Loker, listen, from Danny Loker, from Scott Ian, from Charlie Benante, from Missy Colazzo, and Mike Montarulo, all five of them said yes. Listen, I'm the guy that can't replace. Yeah. But no one's gonna let him do it. Yeah. But the bottom line is, I got permission to book two shows because mm -hmm. it was gonna be fun. And that's the day I spoke to Cuz Joe. And I was like, Cuz Joe, I want to do these shows with you. I trust you. I trust New York Hardcore. I know the right bands are going to open. It's not going to be Life of Agony Part 2 with Whitfield Crane every show. It's going to be something unique and fun. And I know that two shows on the Black and Blue Bowl will be legendary. And he made me an offer that was very good for two shows. And the first thing they said, we're going to use our booking agent. We're going to use our road crews. We're going to use our people. And yeah. we're going to finish the negotiations. Yeah. And I said this, no. And that night when I was announcing that we were going to do it on the podcast with Jimmy Gestapo at that restaurant with Drew, they yep. had that little, a Brooklyn Larry. They had that little podcast out on Avenue A. Yep. Down and had some dinner with them. It was good to be in the old neighborhood. You know how it goes. Yeah. still... It's still in my mind. I still see people walking around in my head, and it was nice to see it. And I could still see my, you know, my friends down here in my head. Yeah. Sort of side of the door of A seven and looked at it, fucking for an hour, crying. You know, my friends walked in and out of here. Yeah. And I announced we were going to do the shows, and then the phone call came the next day. We're doing it our way, but here's how we're going to do it. And I was like, no. And first thing out of Mike Montarulo's mouth, you know, we can get so much more money. And that's when I knew right away they were going to steal again. And, yeah. I to and I tried it one other time when they were talking about doing Riot Fest. Yeah. There were words in Riot Fest that, Larry, that these guys were going to get paid on the side. And I was mm -hmm. like, get it. So I'm yeah. not going to do it. I called Cousy Joe up. Hey, look, I'm up here to talk about Riot Fest. Uh, I'm going to go talk to these guys, but I think it's going to fall through. Would you be interested in talking about doing something? And then he called Mike Montarulo, and Mike Montarulo put up whatever shady game he had. Yeah. And he said, Billy, you know, just give me a call back. And they said that there was no right or fast offer. Yeah. Mm, yeah, he got you, got you. Yeah. And they were just, they were getting ready to steal. And that's yeah. how they do it. They say yeah. one thing, they do another. But they say one thing, and they get side contracts. And if their business manager is their booking agent and I am forced to use them without anyone oversight, like access and egress to contracts and negotiation, how do I know what I'm getting paid? And I said, fuck it. And then I had one chance about two years ago, three years ago, two years ago, to book three years ago, before COVID, to book SOD at Full Terror Assault. Uh -huh. Now, if you guys ever play Full Terror Assault Festival, You'll play one of the best festivals in America. It's a campers festival. It's in beautiful in the woods. Everyone's stoned and barbecue. Yeah. And Full Terror Assault is my favorite place in America to play. I played there with MOD. You can look on online. MOD at Full yeah. Terror. And this year, this September, I'm going to host it just to go hang out. Oh, and where is it at? It's in Illinois. 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 It's beautiful. It's the state park. It's gorgeous up there. And the people are so cool. 
And the first thing they did was say, we can get more money. I'm like, look, it's not about money. You're going to do two shows. You're going to make history. You're going to sell T-shirts. You're going to hang out and do something cool. And he goes, you know, you don't know Scott, Charlie and Scott. They're like, they're going to expect. I go, they're going to expect what? They're going to expect to be rock stars. I hate to break it to you. No one respects Charlie Benante and no one respects Scott Ian. No one respects them. And when I see Scott Ian in the interview say, you know, I have no problem with Billy Milano. Well, then you ain't read no interviews with me telling everyone how you're a dirty thief and a lying, dirty something. <laughs> and that's a fact. And then you ain't reading the truth. And if you ain't reading the truth, you're reading fake news. And yeah. You're believing it. I don't like you. I don't like Charlie Benante, and I fucking hate Mike Montarulo. That that we know. That's the core group of the guys that begged SOD to do a reunion. Mm, and go. They, they couldn't do anything with Anthrax. And yeah. I walked yeah. In the rehearsal room with Anthrax, and John Bush is sitting there saying, "We're going to do the SOD stuff now, huh?" And I looked at him, and I'm like, "You're a droopy dog looking bitch." <laughs> <laughs> There's so much schism in their own band. Yeah, 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 yeah. Scott Ian saying we got rid of John Bush. We got rid of Joey because we wanted a lion, not a bird. And they get rid of John Bush because they want a bird, not a lion. <laughs> and then Joey Belladonna says, hey, I guess I'm the right choice if I'm your last choice. I mean, this is what the guy said on Blabbermouth. Uh, I mean, this, this schism there that has nothing to do with me. But yeah. it affects me because I have to see these people. And so when I tell Scott Ian, and I tell everybody all the time, no matter what SOD was, I was SOD, not Scott Ian. I'm the one that used the name Stormtroopers to death. He wanted to call it the disease. Because Anthrax had a record called Spreading the Disease. And I said, look, I don't have a disease. So <laughs> that I know of. Stormtroopers of death. And he said, fine. And we'll call the record the disease. And I said, no, we're going to call this record Speak English or Die. <laughs> when anyone says <laughs> and then i took the camouflage and made the border around the album cover they have that so to eugene listen they they have so much <laughs> clarity about who did what that scotty and has lied himself into a position where he comes up with i came up with the name anthrax when danny looker says look i came up with the name anthrax even his wife said he did it in high school yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. a method of destruction is mine since 1983. That's what I was about to say. You talked about it and then fast forward after all those guys and all that. Listen, Scott Ian is a douchebag. <laughs> Done. 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 Listen, he called me on the phone in 2007. Hey, we have a, no, Danny Looker. Hey, Billy. <laughs> Danny Looker. <laughs> to go play Maryland Death Fest. $25,000 and all our expenses and we get to keep our merch. Just so that you know, I go, let me think about it. And I hung up the phone and I sat in my backyard looking at Buster and Emily. And I said, you know what? Fuck those niggas. I called Lucka back. Lucka, listen, I, I don't want to do the show. He goes, really? I go, no, I don't want to play Maryland Death Fest. I don't want to jam with Scott and Charlie. Fuck those niggas. I'll talk to you later. And get a job. And I hung up. <laughs> Get a job, nigga. I got three. You ain't got one. Yeah, I've been working since I'm 16. Hey, mow that lawn. You want me to mow yours too? I got my mowing here. Yeah. <laughs> give me that money. Give me, give me, give me, give me. Give me a 
man. You got to hustle it. Listen, I'm hustling right now. Oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. You, I, I, you know, again. There goes guys call me up, and I get a phone call, 323. Bling, bling. Hello? <laughs> hey, it's me. It's Scott. You don't want to do that show? I go, Scott. Scott who? He goes, it's Scott. You don't want to do that show? I go, hey, Scott. How you doing? It's Billy. Good to hear from you. Now, seven years. <laughs> you don't want to do that show? You don't want to make that money? And I said, no, I don't want to make you that money. And I hung up the phone. And that's what it comes down to. They're not going to be fair. They're fucking liars and thieves. They're selfish. I did this in Japan. They stole money from Japan. Mike Montarulo knows about it, but they were selfish in Japan. I told those guys, I don't want to do this SOD reunion. I'm yeah. managing how many bands? I busted my ass how many times? Yeah. And now I'm invested in a studio with Big Blue Meanie because I'm bringing them work. Do I want to do SOD? No, because I don't trust you. And then they said this. Well, I go, you guys are going to share the experience? Yeah, it's going to be great. As soon as Scotty got his check, he disappeared. Mm. Totally disappeared. I have never met more selfish, conniving people in my life. Yeah, real cutthroat business. Industry. Yeah. And when I think about it, and I think about all the shit they stole from me music-wise, like I wrote the music for Indians, and mm. Charlie Benante stole it. Oh, wow. I wrote the song Taint. I gave them the persona that they stole to become anthrax. Yeah. I remember at the SOD record release party, you can ask Gary Mescalis from Propane, the crumb suckers were in my house with me at my record release party. And I said to Gary Mescal, you know, you should wear those stupid shorts on stage. Every time I see you on stage with them, I think of the beach, I think of the crumb suckers. I think, <laughs> I think of fun. And Scott Ian went like this, though. Cha-ching! Exactly what he did. And then they tried to come up with some excuse that Howie Abrams gave him the idea for the shorts. Which is funny, because Howie Abrams was standing there with Scott Ian as I was talking to Dan Richardson, Gary Meskel, and Chuck Lenahan from the Crumb Suckers. Now, I don't even like Gary Meskel. Fact. You know what I'm saying? But he does know that he was there and they stole it from the Crumb Suckers. And they came up with, we came up with the shorts idea. No, you didn't. I did. Because I'm the one that's the New York hardcore guy. Which means I'm the guy with the street level perspective. And that's where you make your money. Rather, that's where you find your roots in the streets. You know, yeah. sitting in a boardroom, and I have an idea. I'm going to Yeah. I, I would hear, I would hear things about, I would hear stories about certain bands literally having meetings about What's the newest trend? Oh, it's skateboarding? Okay, now we're skateboarders. We're going to rock skateboards and promo. I don't know anything about that. All I can tell you is I was in my house at my record release party with the Crumb Suckers and Scott and Howie Abrams, and both of their eyes lit up. And Scott Ian knows a good idea when they see it. They stole my, Charlie Benante stole my riff for Indians. That's, now that alone, hold on. I know this about those metalhead dudes. About I love metal, but again, I grew up not fucking with that band. But that song, if which I believe you, of course, but you're saying what you're saying, that's the song they're known for. Listen, if you look on my credits in my records, it says, thanks to Charlie Benante for stealing my Indians record. <laughs> I believe you. I believe it. I was playing it out in the rehearsal room as we're getting the SOD riffs together. 
Do do, and I'm going boom, 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 and it was from the TV show F Troop. Yeah, F Troop. Howie's camp. When they walk into the Howie's camp, and the Howie's came to the F Troop fort, they had that riff. I know the song now. When you say that, I know because my brother watched F Troop. Completely. I walk into a room and Charlie Benante's playing and he's like, yeah, I go, Charlie, that's my riff. He goes, no, it's a riff I have for this new record we're going to do. And they weren't even working on it. They were working on Speak English or Die. And he stole my riff back then. And wow. that's why I said on my record, you stole it. He's a fucking liar. Wow. That's I hate great. those songs. Listen, here's the truth. I hate those I offended everybody. <laughs> Never once have I invoked violence. Mm. I've always been the guy that's throwing hands second, and I've never raised my hands out of vanity. Yeah, you know I mean? I'm a very righteous fucking guy. Look, at, that's what I'm saying. I, I again, I got to know you, and I know you're real. And again, this newer generation too. Also, a lot of people don't understand the whole, the brash, the sarcasm, the <laughs> just how we come from. We're loud. We come from a loud, hard place. <laughs> Everybody, I go, listen, if you're going to step at the, it's sit up at the dinner table with the adults, be prepared for the conversation. You Don't know? sit here and say, that's rude, that's selfish, that's mean. Listen, you ready? Talk shit. <laughs> you telling me a little boy is a little girl, that's selfish. You telling me a little girl is a little boy, that's selfish. You telling me a girl, a guy dressed as a girl is a girl, that's selfish. You understand me? You telling me that there's only that there's more than two genders? That's selfish. We don't have a hundred genders. We have two. It's called science. And if you look at the science, then the science that you apply to everything should apply to this, which is math. And math is empirical. And you don't have a choice. One plus one is two. It's resolute. It's resolved. It's empirical. And so is gender. It's science. It's biology. And it's two. You can't cut off your dick and put a womb in a body. Your body doesn't make estrogen and you can't have a baby. And you can't be a woman with a pussy and make yourself look like a man because of hormone shots and say, I'm a man. You're not. You're a woman that chooses to live as a man, and I'll accept you as you want as a man. But to say that there's more than two genders is a fucking lie. And that's let, Okay, let me ask you, were you saying that what is the one thing you think people um, misinterpret about you? <laughs> that take, that, what's something that you think people automatically label you because you're so outspoken and very uh, animated and graphic but what is that what is that the biggest misconception what's the one thing you want you think people don't know about milano because i know that part but what's the one thing you would say you think the most the biggest thing that people do not know about milano that they think they know about milano well everyone listen that part of the act correct, of Billy Milano, which is a character I portray, like wrestling. Exactly. Billy Milano is the person that is corporal punishment. But I'm Billy. It has nothing to do with Billy Milano. I mean, everyone knows me as Billy Milano, but the character, when I step out and I put my wrestling boa on. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? I know. I know. Oh, second. Go put <laughs> I'm in. I know this is why I'm glad you're letting the, the people know 
in this way so they know. This is what I wanted people to know about the fucking Milan homage. That I'm going to start a fucking wrestling organization. And I might have my first one. Oh, shit. Like, <laughs> there you go. I'm going to you something, brother. You gotta beat the man. There you go. Look at the smoking words, first champion right there. Exactly. You know the the fact of the fact of the matter is, it's a character, and I have just as many personable sides as my original wrestling belt. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. And, and, and I know that. Oh, that's dope. I just noticed that with the fucking whole. I just know. Oh, that's dope with the whole SOD. That's dope. I didn't notice that till you just showed that. That's some cool shit right there. That was the fucking character that my boy Eugene, who used to pick on, push me around a little bit, had on his jacket. Yeah. Listen. Here's the most under misunderstood thing about me. People understand. Uh, try to understand or try to put me into character. Every time they see you. Yeah. Now you have to understand several things. Number one is Hulk Hogan doesn't go food shopping in yellow trunks with a boa. <laughs> Lady, if you break my eggs, I'm going to come to your house and decimate you. I'm <laughs> on your head. It doesn't, that doesn't exist. And even in the psychos, I was coming out to I Am a Real American. I would come out to all the wrestling theme songs, yeah. wearing all the wrestling shirts. And it was wrestling to me no matter what. But the biggest problem for me is people are offended by everything. And so the most misunderstood thing about me is this. While I called Scotty in a dirty fucking Jew, it doesn't mean I hate every Jew. I just hate that dirty fucking Jew himself. You understand me? I don't have a problem with saying it. He's a Jew. He's proud to be Jewish. He talks about what a great Jew he is. And I think he's a dirty fucking Jew because he stole and he lied. He disrespected me, never called me when my mother died of cancer. And you know what the truth is? At that point, you're a dirty fucking Jew. And people look at me like, oh, you're a Nazi. And can explain something to you? I fucking hate Nazis. I know that you do. I've never been racist or Nazi, but I, listen, I grew up, I grew up in nice New Jersey, went to the Lower East Side. Got my understanding of the of life from the Lower East Side streets like everyone else. There ain't no difference between those streets now, poverty-wise, and the shit that's now. It's just that now everybody is publicly hating white people because it's fashionable. And I say, go fuck yourself, man. Mm. I didn't do nothing to you. And yeah. I, I have no problem with calling people a bitch-ass nigga, whatever the fuck I got to say. It, it doesn't bother me because I know I'm, I'm expressive about that one person. Yeah, yeah, and you're also. This is why, again, with you, this is why I, I. This is again why I wanted to grab you because not that you're just a throwback, but it is. It's a. It's they don't make people like you and like people that understand that because I understand. I come from that era. Listen, we understand that it's. Listen, the streets is not something you can buy at Hot Topic. Yeah. Done. When I see people walking around with shirts that like discharge and they're brand new, I'm like, all right, nigga. You either bought that from Discharge now, yeah. or you went to Hot Topic. Yeah, There's yeah. no other way around it. Or yeah. you went to a flea market and Tony T-shirt still bootlegging everything. Yeah. <laughs> Tony T. Right. But the hey. bottom line is this. When people look at me offended, it's because they're offended by everything. I think Hillary, listen, I'm a Trump supporter. I will always be a Trump supporter. 
because I've been watching them since 1987. And even in 1987, I said in an interview, and you could look it up online from, uh, it says, you can just Google it, Billy Milano wanted Trump in 1987 when he was going against Reagan. So everyone's like, oh, he's a Republican, he's a Democrat, he's flipping. How can you trust him? That's why you trust him. Because he looks at the Republicans and says, you're wrong. And then he looks at the Democrats and says, wait a minute, that's wrong. And then he goes back to the Republicans and says, wait a minute, that's wrong. It's called critical analysis. And he's a brilliant, brilliant businessman. And our media destroyed him yeah. because they wanted, wanted to fix the country. And of course, everybody stealing doesn't want to fix the country. Because if they fix it, they're going to look at the next question. Where's our fucking money? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's but definitely... A crazy, crazy time. Even how bands are moving, just everything. Just everyone's a pussy. <laughs> Everyone right now thinks they're hardcore. Like these fucking people, these gang members. Half of these fucking these crews of people. I, I get it. You know, you want to be secure in number. But look, the Antifa motherfuckers are whack. You want to take over Seattle and you wind up shooting each other, burning it down, and then saying we need food. Well, go to storm, buy it, nigga. You know, yeah. don't don't take over the the free trade zone in Seattle. Yeah, 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 yeah. free zone, and then ask people for food. What the fuck is that? The socialism will never work. Capitalism is the only thing that works. But you have to go out and work. Yeah. And these people today are offended by everything. And me, being who I am, I couldn't give a fuck. I'm yeah, not you- here to win your fucking approval. I'm here to exist. And yeah, you don't like it, go fuck yourself. You work, you always grind it. Every time we went to Texas, when even when you moved to Texas, either you know at the bar or you were somewhere, you were always grinding, working on music, jump on a tour, start a a project, you know, you always kept busy. And um and what what I like to what I like to see, I saw my man from Body Blow recently put up a picture where he saw you in fucking Austin and fucking my man Ryan, and I was like the level in Ryan. Yeah, and then I was like, I was gonna say, yeah, you saw Malago. That's my man. He was like, because I know he loves you. He uh, shout out to Body Blow, Malago, all those guys. But then I was like, time to start hunting Milano again. I said, I don't hunt. Not you. I told you, I'm coming for that ass. I told you, I, I don't give. I told everybody, not everybody, certain people. I go, yeah, I go. Oh, they go, who you got? Who you got? I go, oh, I got a good one. Oh, and I'm chasing uh, Milano. Oh, but I, I gotta work him. I'm getting him. I go, I don't give a fuck. I'm getting Milano. I want because I wanted Milano. But I, I also because you do what you really say. You, you you know you you remove yourself. You don't fuck with nobody. You talk to whoever you want to talk to. You make yourself yeah. there for whoever. You want to make yourself there for, and, and, and I know that, and I see it, but I love that you always still do your thing. I always got my eye on where you at, almost uh, my line. and I know you do with us too. Whenever we would come through, leave a message with somebody, invite yeah, us. gotta say hello. We're getting old. Exactly. We're not, we're not meant to be here forever. Yeah. Puts things in perspective, and you know, for me again, I've I've always been very specific about what I do, who I do it with, even back in the day. I mean, it's like when I uh, when I had uh, the chance to do the SOD reunions, I turned them down. I just, just everything in my gut said you should do it because it's happening. And yeah. then you said to my then I'd say to myself, but they don't care. They're gonna steal. 
yeah. and they're not my friends and I know it. I mean, even when I did the, the, um, when I did the interview with Drew. Yeah. Questions. Yep. I said, mm-hmm. even when I do SOD with them now, I'm, they're not my friends and I know it. And that's how I deal with them. Yeah. But I deal with them in a way that is cathartic, which is, I don't talk to them. I just don't want to know them. Yeah. And I don't want to know anyone that's involved with them. Because no matter what I try to do, it's like me re-signing to Megaforce with my new record, mm-hmm. uh, with that record, Busted Broken American. For me to sign them, give them my entire catalog with the six more records to put out, for, and they never released it. They yeah. barely did anything for the new record, and all they did was talk about SOD, get the licensing for SOD, steal from SOD, and that's what they did. They all stole from SOD, and they did it for a $25,000 advance for five records or six records and my new record. Because yeah. I just wanted my catalog to be yeah. And I don't personally care about money making on my catalog. Good. I know if they sell 20,000 records, they're going to make 120 grand and I'm not going to sell shit. I'm not going to make shit. But I have always toured on my own. I only tour with what I like to tour with Yeah. as much as I want to do. I'm not one of those guys, man, we got to get a new song out. We got to get the hit the road. We got to make our name. Yeah. We got to reestablish. I'm going to come, you know, Claim my own. I ain't, I ain't like that, man. I'll give a fuck about that shit. Yeah, I claim yeah. nothing. Listen, I got my own toilet. I like got my own kitchen. My mom and dad's picture is in it. I got, I'm happy. There you go. And that's the main shit that you're happy. The main thing is that you're happy. And that's what I'm glad. What's the deal with Milano now? Any new music? What motherfuckers? Because let me tell you. One, a lot of people are going to bug out and going to want to see you on this, you know, good and bad, but it's all good. But people also, a lot of people also ask me, you know, with certain things like, yo, what's up with them? They're doing new music. A couple of people I do say, yo, I'm trying to get Billy and Bob out. And they're like, what's up? Is he do- doing, I hear, you know, is he, st- I-, I know he does shows once in a while. Well, like you would pop up, you know, here and there. Right now, what any plans? Let the people know. Is there anything in the works? What, what's the deal right. where you at right now? Well, there's a few things going on. One is I have four songs for MODs and EP. And we just got, you know, my drummer, Mike Fury, who really isn't my drummer anymore. But he's my brother. I love Mike. From He plays for uh, uh, Spirits Adrift and are getting ready to go out on the road with Crowbar. And, you know, he's going to come play on the drums on it. And Rob Machete who played on the last tour as my bass player, is going to uh, play the bass on it. And Scott Sargent, who's been with MOD and my friend since 1987, for Christ's sakes, he's going he's gonna, to uh, play guitar on it. We have four songs we're going to release as a final EP for MOD. Probably going to release it for free on the internet. Just give the music away. Just not care. Yeah. And Because you know what the truth is? Even if I get money for it, what am I going to do with it? Nah. What am I going to really get for an EP for fucking four songs? Yeah. Have a record label charge $10 on it? I'd so, rather just put up the artwork for free, put up the songs for free, and enjoy them. And let the fans enjoy them. They're very specific. I yeah. wanted to do a record, like every one of my last records, what I call the three, which are which is going to be the new one. Plus, broke, busted, broken American, which was a New York hardcore style record, a mm-hmm. hardcore punk record, 
See, I wanted to write a record that was like New York hardcore punk. Yeah. Yeah, it had a little bit more singing. Yeah, yeah. Blues in it. I mean, that's the one thing about New York hardcore punk. That's where I start. I start New York hardcore punk. That's what I like that you specifically say that because I I know because I'm the New York hardcore kid, not from the punk side, but we all know that was that. And then I came later, which exactly you're from that when it was still the punk was a big part of the DNA. Sure, it's part of all our DNA, but I came from the more crossover and the New York hardcore already being, you know, a little more swaggy. Yeah, you, you came into an era of hardcore when certain things could happen. You yeah. Could, you could tour with a real company. Yes. You had instruments that stayed in tune. Yes, full stacks, real equipment. Yeah, you had, you ready? You had good instruments. You rehearsed and could play. Yes. And more importantly, you had ambition to go out and tour. But yeah. When we came out, I mean, I was listening to, you know, the germs psychedelic furs uk subs you know exploited back in the day gbh the jam the specials peter tosh bob marley we were listening to punk and reggae and we were listening to all that era of stuff and the ramones was our big influence and the pistols you know the ramones and the pistols for what their what their value were as new york hardcore is concerned it was the punk rock attributes of their music. Yeah. Where I was like, I want to sing and not just scream. Yeah, 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 you want, yeah, yeah. A little yeah. bit of both, still. Yeah. But, uh, on the MOD record, Red, White, and Screwed, which is more of a crossover hardcore record. Then you had Busted Broke American, which was more of a hardcore punk record. And now this last one I'm going to do, this last MOD EP, is more of a strict thrash metal record. But from 1985. Gotcha. All the style that was 1985 that made us say, wow, yeah. listen to Slayer Hell Awaits. That's the shit I like, the thrash part of Old metal. style stuff. Yeah. It was, was Hell Awaits. It was Bonded by Blood. Yeah. It was Haunting the Chapel. It was Kill Em All. It was old style. Yeah. Hardcore punk thrash. Yep. Thrash. It, was, it was thrash guys listening to Discharge. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. They said, hey, look at this guy's angry, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, we played better than them, but Discharge could play. That's the shit. They were all angry. Yeah, but, yeah. And no, but that's good. So when is that When is that going to come? Oh, what, what's the, are you got a time frame for that? I mean, I don't know exactly the time frame for that. We're working on it right now. I literally yesterday got my click tracks for the drummer. Gotcha. And so I'm going down tomorrow night to talk to Mike Fury. Who's gonna learn him? Track his drums to the click track with the right. guitars, and then we'll bring it out to Florida and then Machete put the bass on it. Guy, oh yeah, you told me you're gonna come to Florida, right? Yeah, I'm thinking about coming down, uh, doing it in Tampa, and coming down and getting some mafungo. Listen, listen, I, I told you. I, I tell you, man, I could, I could inhale Maduro. I got, I got you. When you come down, you let me know. Even if you don't make it down here, I'll go up and do a studio thing with you. Will you guys to push the shit and do whatever and grab? But if you come down here, listen, you will we'll, we'll figure it out because I just kind of track the base. Yeah, I always come down. I have family in Wellington, and I have you know Randy Underwoods in in um, North and uh, Naples. Yeah, 
So uh, I never leave my house. I yeah. leave my house to work. I leave my house. To, that's it. To shop and survive. And while MOD may or may not ever play again, and I don't know, and I'm not even thinking that far ahead. Yeah. Like my drummer. You got to understand something about me, Hoya, and I think you honestly do. I'm a very, very personable person. And I'm very, very loyal to We're back to that fealty thought. And Michael Fury, if he can't tour the shows, I don't want to do it. Yeah. I don't want to turn around and see another drummer. I want to see my friend. He yeah. brings so much energy to the band, to MOD, and so much enthusiasm. That I said to myself, if he's done, I'm done. And mm. I remember during COVID, as we came out of it about seven months ago, I got a text text message from Mike. He goes, hey, Way, what's up? I just want Way, by the way. That's what Mexicans call each other. If you know each other, you asshole. What's up, Way? What's up, asshole? You can't say that as a white boy to a Mexican. Oh, like, no. I'm always like, what's up, Way? Fuck with me? Yeah. How about this? Fuck you. Fuck you, way. Fuck you, way. Fuck Jay Rivera. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Jay Rivera. Listen, Fuck Chapolin. Fuck everybody. I like Zapata too, you fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> but he brought such an enthusiasm out of me yeah. to know that he was going to just shred everybody. And I watched Nick Barker play with MOD. When he stepped up, he wanted to play a song. And you know what? To me, my favorite drummer, bar none, in hardcore is Mike Fury. Mm -hmm. He texts me on the phone. He's like, hey, wait, what's up? Uh, listen, I want to talk to you about something. Good dude. He's a good dude. By the way, you know, all I can imagine is when Petey Hine quit Murphy's Law to join the Chromags and Jimmy beat him up for joining the Chromags. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that story. You're either going to be mad or you're going to be an adult about it. Yeah. I never knew I that story. And I was smiling. Yeah. The tears in my eyes. Yeah. No, I'm more than anybody. You go do what you got to do. Yeah. No, that's good. I'm glad that you, you, you already, you always did what you wanted to do. And it's good that you were in a good space, especially even with the, with the guys in the music. And I'm glad you're still doing some music because I was I wondering. Solo record. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. All that. So you got it. But my my point being is, this is why I also wanted to hear because I I wanted to hear you say, oh, "I'm working on shit." Because you always, it, just when it seems you're not doing nothing, you drop something. So yeah, I mean, I got four songs right now that I wrote in 2005. Wow. And I wrote a pre-understanding of this movement, which is this retro movement. So right now there's a lot of bands out there that are saying we're old school and they're not really that old school. Yeah. They play like new school musicians. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the, you see uh, Power Trip was like that, right? You know, all those bands had that old school feel, but they never really did it right because they weren't there. Mm -hmm. Where I took my songs and I write like an old New York hardcore style punk rocker. I write, write very square. See, that's the funny thing about New York hardcore. We write square. Yeah, I know you mean. Here's the chorus. Here's the chant. Here's the mosh. Here's the chorus out. 
fuck yeah. off. Next rip. <laughs> fuck. That's you basically just named nine albums of mine and fucking. I put on Maple and I hear big And for everybody out there, Milano was involved with. The album that people to this day consider our best album was the Hold It Down record. The reason why we did it at Big Blue, because that's the studio Milano was talking about. And again, Milano being a studio guy was also, we were all around for sounds and equipment talks. I remember uh, always talking about, I remember specifically talking about the, the TC Electronic pedal with you and Maddie Henderson. And I remember, I never forget this, you saw Maddie Henderson with it. And you were like, yo, you don't got that shit like in a fucking safe. We're like, bye, bye, bye. You, you were like, yo, that shit. Yeah, yeah. And I remember you and all that shit. But uh, listen, Milano, I'm glad I was able to grab you on here. I'm glad that you're fucking, you sound good. I'm glad you're doing good. And even more that you're going to be doing some music. And I'm glad, I just was glad to be able to touch base with you. Because it's been a minute. And... I still get that same energy, the, the same, you know, like I expected you to change. You know what I mean? You can't change, you know, but listen, mad love to you, Milano. You know what's up? I'm glad you were able to jump on. I'll let you know when this comes out and we're going to be in t stay in touch when you come to Florida. I got your numbers. You got my number. Hit me up. You know what's up, Milano. Listen, love you, bro. I'll, I'll let you know when this shit drops, and I'll hit you later, all right? No, man. Game of Thrones. Always. Yo, Milano Marshall, we out. Hey, thank you, everybody. Respect. Yo, we out. Father and father. Hey, hey.